chapter 4. If you're using a pew Bible, you'll find that, I think, still on page 977. I forgot to double-check that we're, we are making progress in chapter 4, but I think where we're at is still on page 977. Paul's theme in uh, Ephesians chapter 4, the first part, is the unity of the church, uh, maintain, striving to maintain that unity of the one body. Last week, to give you a uh, context for Ephesians, the entire letter, I used John Stott. I'm going to use John Stott again this morning, but it'll be different because this summary is not of the whole letter and how chapter 4 fits in. This summary is only in uh, chapter 4, starting in chapter 4, I think, and moving forward, what unity looks like. So according to John Stott, uh, Church of England guy, uh, theologian in Great Britain, he says, Paul elaborates four truths about the kind of oneness which God intends his new society, that is the church, to enjoy. They may be stated in the following four propositions. Number one, a church's unity depends on the charity of our character and conduct in the first three verses. Number two, a church's unity arises from the unity of our God. That's where we were last week in verses four to six. Number three, a church's unity is enriched by the diversity of our gift, verses 7 to 12. And there he uses gift in the singular, much like the Bible talks about the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is displayed in love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, you know, all those things. But fruit collectively, the the gift that is given us, bestowed upon us by Christ enriches our unity. And then lastly, a church's unity demands the maturity of our growth, verses 13 to 16. So it depends on something, it arises uh, out from something, it is enriched by something, and it demands something. We've done the first two, today we're doing verse uh, the third of those. Let's kind of review those verses. Number one, it depends on our character. Paul writes, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Here's our character. With all humility, gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. If we're to have unity, it's going to require those things. Unity isn't going to be simple. It's not going to be accomplished without any effort at all. It's not going to be accomplished without getting outside of your comfort zone. It requires all of those things. Number two, this is last week, a church's unity arises from the unity of our God. Paul writes, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So we are to strive for something because of who God is and what God has already done in verses 4 to 6. Number three, where we're at this morning, a church's unity is enriched by the diversity of our gift. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. 
Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying, he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. That's where we're going to be this morning. I think we'll be able to do it in just this one week. Let's break it down. He starts off in verse 7 with the word but. So it's an obvious contrast. But, and all of your Bibles say that, I think, unless you're carrying a Holman Christian Standard or a Christian Standard Bible, then it says it uses the word now. Now grace was given to each one of us, but for most of us it's but. And whether it's the word now or but, there is a contrast. Like there is something, there's a change that just took place. There's a shift that just happened. And that kind of makes sense in light of what he just said in verses 4 to 6. In verses 4 to 6 you had all this oneness. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, but... It's not, there's something else that's a part of this unity that we are to be eager or strive to maintain. There's something besides all of this oneness, and we're going to find out God's purpose is not uniformity, it's unity. And they're not the same thing. Uniformity means everybody looks exactly like everybody else, and I'm going to illustrate that by playing a, a song for you that probably you won't care for, uh, but where else are you going to hear it unless I do that? So, And it's only two minutes, and it's true, it's two minutes you will never regain. Like, there, there are two minutes lost, but in the bigger picture, it helps to illustrate the point. But God's purpose is not uniformity, it's unity. So you've got the basis of unity is all this oneness, but, and then he moves on. Uh, it's Steve Taylor. Steve Taylor did music back in the 80s, in the 90s. He's been involved in different productions as well. Uh, Steve Taylor, an interesting guy. His music, I actually really like it well. He, he was a critic of the church in the right way. He was a critic of culture, I think, in the right way. He called out sin. He called out hypocrisy. He called out... Uh, when people act like Pharisees. So some of his song titles are, Whatever Happened to Sin? Uh, another song title is, It's a Personal Thing. Like, you know, I do what I want, it, it's a personal thing. It doesn't, uh, it's none of your business. A song I manipulate about in the church, how there are different leaders in the church or characters in the church that manipulate people in situations. A song called Lifeboat about values and ethics how uh, in, in public schools back in the 80s and 90s, one of the things they did is they taught this lifeboat scenario where you put different people on a lifeboat and you've got to throw some overboard to save the rest. Who are you going to throw overboard? Whose life is worth less than everybody else's? A song called Baby Doe regarding the right to life about babies being born. Uh, his, his most popular and controversial song was a song entitled I Blew Up the Clinic Real Good. Uh, which is a song about abortion clinics. And I thought I printed the lyrics. It's actually a really clever video as well, but it's written tongue-in-cheek. It's not meant serious. Uh, people today would be offended. Even in here it sounded a little offended. Uh, 
But you have to understand why, like in the song, who he is. He, he starts off the song this way. I have the road in my blood. I drive a custom van. I play the tunes. I'm the neighborhood ice cream man. So don't you mess this boy around. The other day, when the clinic had its local debut, some chicks were trying to pick it. The doctor threatened to sue. Now, I don't care if it's a baby or a tissue blob, but if we run out of youngsters, I'll be out of a job. And so I did my duty cleaning up the neighborhood. I blew up the clinic real good. Uh, he did get some flack for that song. So, so the song I'm going to play isn't as bad as it might have been. <laughs> There's a song he did, I Want to Be a Clone where he said in churches, it seemed like to him, his experience was the model in church was everybody's supposed to be exactly the same. You think the same, uh, you have the same uh, Christian liberties or not Christian liberties, but everybody believes the same in every jot and tittle. Now, maybe that wasn't your experience, and that's a good thing, and I'm glad for you. Uh, My experience as a teenager was I went to any number of churches where that was definitely the vibe. Everybody... Women dressed a certain way, men dressed a certain way, everybody's length of the hair was a certain way, Uh, the way you entertained yourself was very prescribed. And uh, Cindy's experience was much the same. She would say in her church, you know, she remembers the pastor always saying, like, read your Bibles, you need to read your Bibles, and that's a good thing. But if you came up with any different answer, you were wrong. Because there was always only one answer, and it was what that particular church happened to teach. So, he did a song, I Want to Be a Clone. I've edited it down to two minutes. Uh, The lyrics will be on the screen. They're going to come at you pretty fast, but you'll get the gist of it. Uh, and, And this is something we want to avoid because God doesn't call us to uniformity. Be a clone in this conviction tonight. Loneliness 
yes, is next to godliness, right? I'm grateful that they showed away, cause I can never know the way to serve him on my own. So now I see the whole design, my church is an assembly line, the parts are there, I'm feeling fine. I've learned enough to stay afloat, but not so much I rock the bowl, I'm glad they shoved it down my throat. We're going to move on from that. <laughs> After the word but, you've got the word grace. But, grace. We've defined grace rightly as unmerited favor. And generally, when we think of grace, we think of saving grace. That is, by grace you were saved through faith. But saved by grace, not of works, lest anyone should boast. But here we're not talking about being saved by grace. In this particular case, we're talking about God's gracious bestowment of gifts. The way God, the Holy Spirit, Christ our Lord, the way he bestows gifts is by grace. It's unmerited. I don't deserve a gift. I haven't earned a gift. I don't choose my gift. And neither do you. It's graciously given out of his own character, out of his own will. In chapter 3 and verses 1 to 8, if you'll skip back if you need to turn a page, I'm not sure... Uh, what it looks like in your Bible. But in chapter 3 and verse 1, Paul uh, speaks of his own gift this way. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I, am le the very, though I am very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. So it's, the, it's a gracious giving of gifts. Paul says, I was graciously given a gift. I can tell you I didn't deserve it. I can tell you I'm the least of all the apostles, but that's the gift conferred upon me by Christ, and I've passed it on to you. So that's, that's what we're talking about when we're talking about grace in chapter 4 and verse 7. He says, to each one of us, which is uh, another shift in Paul's language, because prior to this, he talked about God and Father of all, over all, through all, in all. He's been emphasizing all this allness. And then all of a sudden he goes from what God is for all the church, all the time, in all ways, he suddenly shifts to, but grace was given to each one of us. Because God's goal is not uniformity, it's unity. And so grace is given to each one of us differently in order to encourage oneness. In God's design... In God's purposeful will, 
God determines that we will be in a position to maintain the oneness that we have in Christ by giving each one of us a different gift. Not that there are no two gifts ever alike, because that's not true. But within the church, within those who are Christians saved by the grace of God, each Christian is given at least one gift or more. And that actually encourages and promotes unity, not disunity. Now, your experience may be that that's not the way it looks like, because sometimes uh, some gifts are coveted or, or valued more than other gifts, or there's competition, there's envy, and that's not why God gave the gifts. God knows that by giving a diversity of gifts, what ought to happen is I recognize I need your gift. I can't know God to the full extent that I meant and called to know God apart from you and your gift. And the same goes for you in regard to me. That you can't fully know and experience God apart from me using my gift in such a way that it builds up the body of Christ. I know the church isn't a building, it's people, but this is a good, good picture. It's a good illustration. At least in my mind, it's a good illustration. Uh, something I really would have liked to have found is that there's some people, artistic kind of people, that they take scraps of nothing, scraps, little torn pieces of paper, scraps of pictures, and they'll put it together in a collage, and it's the most beautiful thing. That's kind of what the church is. The church are, we're all these scraps of paper that when we're put together, we become a beautiful thing by the grace of Christ. And it's a beautiful picture. And if all we had was one scrap and everybody's scrap looked exactly like everybody else's scrapped, scrap, it wouldn't be the beautiful thing that is meant to be. Uh, if I break that one picture up, if everybody was exactly this piece and we all came together, our picture would be very incomplete and very unsatisfying. Or... If, if we thought of the image of we all have a piece of the puzzle, but on any given Sunday, 10 or 20 people choose for no real good reason, or because they've prioritized something other than the church, the body of Christ, they decide not to bring their piece of the, to, to complete the puzzle, our picture becomes very incomplete then as well. We need the church together to be the picture that God created us to be. The picture needs to be whole. Another way to illustrate the same point, the necessity of gifts is music. When Christ saves us, he doesn't all give us one instrument to play a kazoo, and we all play the kazoo, and we get together, and that's what it sounds like, but a variety of instruments. And in the variety of instruments, there is a more beautiful sound than any one instrument alone. I'll give you a, a short example. This is better than Steve Taylor. It's from Prague, uh, the Czech Republic, formerly Czechoslovakia. It's kind of a, a flash uh, symphony that comes together to play music.
any one instrument has value, but when you put them all together, it's so much, it's not a much more complete picture. It's more beautiful. It's what the church is meant to be, where it's not just uh, one person or one individual who gets all the attention and everything focuses on any one individual. It's when the church comes together and each one is using their gift in such a way for the profit of the whole that we become what Christ intended us to be. In Ephesians, the way it looks out, the way it works out is he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, or the shepherds and teachers. That's where we'll be next week. That's one verse beyond where, we'll, where we're at this week. Uh, so we'll build on that. But that's what it looks like in Ephesians. Those are the, the various gifts bestowed upon the church in chapter 4. In Romans chapter 12, you've got... Uh, a parallel passage that's a little bit more complete picture than what Ephesians gives us. It'll probably be hard to see all the words on the screen, but it looks like this. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Now, here's what you should pick out of that, or at least what I want to pick out before we go back to Ephesians. Number one, you'll see that the word grace is using, used two more times as, as this is what these gifts are. They're not natural abilities that we're talking about here. We're talking about gifts granted by Christ to individuals within his church. In just a moment, we'll uh, address what's the difference between a natural talent and ability and a spiritual gift. Secondly, he talks about these gifts differing. So the measure of grace in a spiritual gift varies from person to person, what that gift looks like. Uh, some people are gifted uh, to work with a certain age group or a certain demographic. Some people, it's a gift that benefits the whole church in a, in a, uni a unique way or, or part of the church that needs encouragement. I don't know exactly what your giftedness is, but there are varieties of gifts. They differ. And then the last thing I want to point out is he says, we though many are one body in Christ. Though those gifts differ, we don't... We don't break into small groups where all the people with this, this gift meet over here in this group. The people with a second gift meet in a second group, and we divide up according to groups. That's not the way it's supposed to work, because then you've defeated the whole purpose of the gifts. The purpose of the gifts is you value all the gifts, because it makes us a more complete church, and we worship God more fully as we were meant to worship by valuing all of the gifts. Now we'll take a little sidetrack on spiritual gifts and, and lay a little bit of groundwork for where we're at this week and then moving into next week. Number one, there are five passages in the New, in the New Testament that, that give a list of spiritual gifts. Uh, the shortest is in 1 Peter. 
First Peter actually reads like this. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. There's our grace word again, tied with the gift. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Peter says he presents two categories of gifts, speaking gifts and serving gifts. Other lists in Corinthians, where we were at in Romans just a moment ago, there's many more gifts than just saying speaking and serving, but that's the way Peter divides them. There's no two lists exactly alike. Uh, Some lists include one particular gift and not another. Now, I take that to mean that even if we took all five lists and listed every gift out, which would be 20, some people might argue for 19, but if we listed all those gifts out, I still don't think the list is complete. I think there are gifts, there are real spiritual gifts given by God, though they aren't named or identified as such in Scripture. I'll give you two that I think in my own understanding or persuasion, and you can disagree with me, uh, that are spiritual gifts. One would be a gift of music or song. I think some people are, I would say the Gettys have the spiritual gift of, of worship and singing and praise, and they have, they have been such a gift to Christ's church, and that we benefit from the music they write and perform, and that we can sing it as well. That's a gift given by Christ to the benefit of the church. That's what I would say. A second gift that I think isn't explicitly named as a gift, but I think it is, is the gift of prayer. I think some people have the gift of prayer. Uh, Some of the people that I've known best that have the gift of prayer is when my wife and I, 30-some years ago, were at a free Methodist church in in, uh, Lincoln, Illinois. And it was kind of an old, kind of a dying church. And... uh, those old saints, though, they knew how to pray, and they taught me a lot about prayer. I thought I knew something about prayer until I prayed with them because they were so heartfelt, and they were so earnest, uh, and so encouraging in how they prayed and what they prayed. I think prayer is a spiritual gift, though it's not named explicitly as such. Secondly, there's an inseparable connection between grace and gifts, which I've already pointed out, but let me make it a little bit more explicit. The word grace in the Bible is the word charis. Uh, That's how it translates into English. Uh, From the Greek, it looks like charis. The word grace, or the word gifts, there's several words in the Bible, but the word that is usually used for spiritual gifts is the word charisma, or charisma. there's a way to say it, and I, I want to say charisma, but that's, not, that's our English word, uh, charisma. Uh, but that's the word spiritual gift. It's derived from grace, which is what we've learned. These gifts are given by grace. Now, if you put those two concepts together, here's what that means. No, okay, it's not on the board. Here's what that means. God has gifted our church with a variety of spiritual gifts by his grace. We are a church founded on the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's poured out a variety of spiritual gifts to every Christian who is here. You know what that makes us? We're a charismatic church. So you can tell your neighbors, I go to a charismatic church. And that's entirely right. That's entirely biblical. Because that's what a church is. It's a church drawn together, gifted by God's grace to benefit the whole. 
we're a charismatic church. And I've, always, I've also always thought, this is kind of a, another sidetrack, is I've always thought diversity in the church is such a good thing. And I wish we were in a position where, you know, there was more apparent diversity. And what do I mean by that? I think in terms of ethnic backgrounds, uh, maybe not, not everybody kind of mostly like me, middle class, white American. You know, I'd like to see more diversity. And really, that's kind of an unbiblical notion in a way. Like I realize in heaven, in Revelation, at the end of the day, surrounding the throne of the Lamb is every tribe, nation, tongue, language. There will be every, every variety of humanity there. But we are a diverse church because we're a church gifted diversely with various gifts. And so we are very diverse, and I need to appreciate the diversity God has already invested in us as a local church by His grace. So uses in the New Testament of this word, this gracious gift. It starts with Romans 6.25. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, the gracious gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There is no giftedness on any other level unless we have the gift of eternal life in Christ. That's the most fundamental gift that there is. Building upon that, the Holy Spirit himself is a gift. Christ poured out the Holy Spirit. It's God, it's the promised gift to his church. And it's because of that gift that then we have these spiritual variety of gifts that are, are, are existent within our own local assembly. There's also a way that it's used for your station of, in life. This is in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Wherever you find yourself, it is the gift of God to you. So if in your singleness or your widowhood or whatever your, whatever your situation is, life, is in life, that is God's gift to you. Use it to his glory. There's no station in life which cannot be redeemed by Christ and used to bring glory to God through Christ, his son. All right. Is there a difference between spiritual gifts and natural abilities? I'm going to use J.I. Packer, Jim Packer, to answer this question because he does such a marvelous job in such a short little uh, couple sentences. The difference between natural abilities, and, and natural's in quotes, because even a natural ability ultimately is derived from God, right? Uh, whatever you are naturally good at, it's still by the grace of God that you're, you're naturally good at that. But what makes, a, what makes it into a spiritual gift is what the Holy Spirit does with what may have otherwise only been a natural ability. It reads like this. The ability to speak or act in a certain way is only a spiritual gift if and as God uses it to build up the body. Some natural abilities or talents that God has given, he never uses in this way. While sometimes he chooses to build up his body through performances that in our eyes seem substandard. What makes something a spiritual gift is not the quality of the performance, but the blessing of God. That's what makes a spiritual gift. I've gone to, I don't go to concerts often, but I've been to enough concerts in my life. I've seen people that are very talented musically. But just because they're talented musically, whether in or out of the church, that doesn't necessarily mean it's a spiritual gift, where God's spirit is using it to build up the body. One of the, one of the people that had a spiritual gift of music when uh, my mentor's church way back and when I was like 20 years old, early 20s, in Grace Bible Church in Ohio, there was Omar Schwarzengruber. 
And Omar Schwarzendruber gave the spiritual gift of music. And it was never planned, uh, and it wasn't entirely spontaneous. What happened was some, they would usually have special music at the church, and sometimes somebody didn't show up or they weren't prepared. And so the pastor would say, Omar, you know, do you have a, do you have a song for us this morning? And Omar would stand where he's at, and he would burst out into a couple songs, some sort of medley of songs. Omar didn't have a natural talent to sing. But it was very clear he knew who, who his Lord was. It was very clear, kind of going back to Hannah's story, that he loved much because he'd been forgiven much. And he loved to be able to sing and express his thanksgiving to God who saved him by, his, by his, the grace in his son. And he would sing. And I'm telling you, we were blessed. The rest of the church was blessed. Uh, I think... I better cut it off here because if I move forward, I'm going to run out of time, I think. So let me open it up for comments and questions, and then we'll build on this next week. Hannah. So at the church we were at previously, um, which... We're charismatic. Locate your spiritual gift, label it, and plug you in to a program that they had already going. It fit the construct. Yes, it fit in the construct closer. Yeah. I've got a book on my shelf I read many years ago called Liberating the Laity and that the church is to be laity-driven. That is, that the gifts are derived from within the body and people have a, a desire and an energy to, to exercise their gift. It is interesting. The Bible never tells you how to find a gift or this is the process. Or it doesn't even say, now, you've got to find your spiritual gift. It just doesn't do that. But the expectation is it's found as you're ministering within the body because every gift that's given is given for the building up of the body. So God doesn't reveal spiritual gifts apart from the body. He, he reveals spiritual gifts within the body because that's the point of them. And Corinthians couldn't make that more clear. Somebody else? Uh, Joe. I think you... I mean, you could do it on, on several levels, right? It, it certainly, uh, there's a variety of gifts that make a, any local church congregation as full and complete as it could possibly be. But it's also, I'll say definitely on the biggest level imaginable, that Christ's church worldwide has been gifted in such a way. And that'll become more explicitly clear next week when we talk about he gave some to be apostles and some to be prophets. Because I don't think, there, I don't think the apostolic gift is, is still legitimate for the church. But that was part of Christ's gift for all the church in every country, tribe, nation, language, and tongue. And that was the, Christ is the chief cornerstone. The foundation of the apostles and prophets is a, a foundation laid, which is a gift for all the church. And so there's a worldwide level, there's a very local level. Can you look at it within like a local community? I think you could. I'd have to think through those categories what that looks like. But I, you know, on some level, I'm kind of comfortable with that because I think some churches seem particularly gifted at uh, call it uh, evangel the gift of evangelism, bringing people to faith in Christ. But sometimes they stumble over discipleship. Uh, I think our giftedness, probably because I'm the one that's front and center and has so much time to speak every week, I'm more gifted towards discipleship than evangelism. Uh, 
but it requires all of that together. So in some sense, yes, there should be a, where you can, a certain cooperation and appreciation within a, a local community, county, of what other churches are doing, which is a good thing. T.J. Hahn is a good example. T.J. Hahn, pastor over at Riverside, his giftedness in some ways is remarkably different from me, and I completely affirm T.J. Hahn and his work and what he's, he's trying to do to the glory of God. I appreciate him. I'm in a good relationship with T.J. Hahn at Riverside, but our giftedness is really quite different. And so some people, I think, will thrive particularly well under his ministry, uh, and some people will thrive in a different way under the ministry we have here. And that's a good thing. I don't think we're the last bastion of truth. Uh, I don't think we're the only ones that Christ uses. And I think we muck things up, like every other church mucks things up sometimes, and I think sometimes by the grace of God, Uh, we give off the fragrance of the gospel in a way that is meant to be given off. Somebody else? Well, we didn't get quite as far this week as I thought we would get. Uh, So we'll build on it. We'll see what happens next week. Um, Wonderful passage. Uh, It's meant to be challenging. Uh, It's meant to be encouraging. Uh, Whether you are recognized you need to be more Uh, participate more in the giving of your gift or whether you recognize you need to be more participatory in recognizing the gifts that are given to you because the body of Christ requires all. Let's stand and be dismissed in prayer.